We are into this series, Relationship Goals. So we looked at God's goals for singleness, God's goals for dating. Last week, if you missed that, definitely tune in. Um, and now we're going to talk about God's goals for marriage. Now, most of you are not married, but that's okay. These goals really apply to all of us, so don't, don't tune out quite yet. Um, so we're going to just jump into God's word to start here. In Paul's letter to the, the church in Ephesus, Turkey, he says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I didn't realize till a couple, just a couple weeks ago that this word reverence in the original language it was written is where we get the word phobia. So submit to one another out of your phobia for Christ. It, it really means as much reverence as it does fear. And we actually talked about this last week about in Proverbs how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and how in dating the most important quality that you need to have in yourself before you look for it in others is to have a fear of God. And that's really what this passage is talking about also, that we need to submit to each other and not be, be quick to be, I want to be in charge, I want to boss everybody else around. No, to have the opposite stance and say, I, I want to listen to others, I want to serve others and submit to others. This is something everyone is supposed to do. We're going to look at how it's specifically wives should submit to their husbands, but the truth is we need to all submit to one another as well out of our fear for Christ. And what that means, that reverence or fear doesn't mean that, that kind of a, every week, uh, people like jolt when I do that. But, you know, like if, if you're not, you're not like afraid that God's up there and he's just going to whack you, you know, this spiritual whack-a-mole thing, um, because God loves us. But he's also not the kind of guy that you spit in his face, right? And you shake your fist at him and say, I'm going to do whatever I want. I don't care about you. You know, if someone, I mean, Jesus died on the cross, and, and if, if someone, you know, our sins is what nailed him there. Our sins is, 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 you know, the punishment. He took that punishment upon himself. And if one of you went up and punched one of my, my, my littlest son in the face, uncalled for, if it was called for, I might not do anything, but if it was uncalled for, I mean, I'm not a good example because I'm not a very intimidating presence, but... But man, you should be afraid of a father if you do that to the son. And we should have this healthy fear of disobeying God. Um, not, not just afraid of him for whatever, but another way of saying that, another way of saying fear God or having a reverence for Christ is to say to honor him, to respect him, to honor him. And uh, so then the verses go forward. So this is three things we need in a marriage. Number one, you need to honor God. Do you want a good marriage? Do you want a great marriage? You need to honor God. Two people honoring God in their marriage, it is not going to go that, that much awry if both honor God. Passage keeps going, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For as the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. This is one of the most attacked, hated, mischaracterized verses in all of the Bible. And so there's this whole thing, oh, you think women are inferior, huh? No, that's not what it's saying at all. Jesus submits to the Father. Jesus is equal to the Father. It's not submission because of inferiority. We have some military men and women here this morning and maybe watching online as well. 
And so here's a question for you. How many military generals do you know who had smarter, wiser, better decision makers among the enlisted and officers underneath them? How many generals would you know like that? All of them. Navy guy, right? All of them. Yeah, all the generals had better guys underneath them, made better decisions, were smarter than them. But that, so, so submission, though, is not about, and actually that, that word submit was used in ancient times and when Paul was writing this in a military way many times. So it's not about who's smarter. It's the fact that if you're in a war and, and your commanding officer gives, gives an order and you're like, no, nah, I think we need to talk about that. You know, and let's discuss it. And I think there's some better ideas, you know. Uh, ben, what do you think? You know, and you, do you know what happens when there's no clear line of submission in the military in a war? Chaos. Chaos. Someone in the first service said, you lose. You know how you lose in a war? You die. <laughs> you know, and so it's, it's not about who's smart or whatever. And some people would say, well, this whole submission thing, you know, that, 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 um, we don't have that in our marriage. We decide things together. Well, I hope you decide things together. That's the right thing to do, to, to talk things over and decide together. But then what happens when he wants to do A and she wants to do B? Then how do you just, do you go to the, your three-year-old and say, Mommy and Daddy can't decide. You're going to break the tie because this is a democracy. No, that's not what you do. Nor do you go to your mother-in-law. And say, okay, mom, you get to decide. <laughs> no, that's not better. And so what happens in most marriages that don't follow this pattern that God has laid out is you know who decides who breaks the tie? The most willful, stubborn one. The most strong-willed. And if you're not sure who's most strong-willed, you have a power play every decision. And this is better? No, God's way, I think, is better. And deep down, we know that this is the way it is. Because I say this at weddings. I say to, the, the, to the, the groom, I say, once you say I do, everything in both of your lives will be mostly your fault as the man. And we know that's true, right? We know, like, yeah, yeah, it's his fault. 51%. Why? Because deep down, we have an echo of what God says. He says, the husband is the head of the home. And if things go bad, it's mostly his fault. And even if he does what she wants and it becomes a bad decision, it's still his fault, right? Because that's what leadership is about. And there is a great safety and blessing in submitting. In fact, I love the fact that Josh Jones is now the lead pastor. And I used to be the lead pastor years ago. And you know what? It's great. I'm not the lead pastor anymore. Because if things go bad, guess whose fault it is? It's Josh's fault. Oh, I will submit to that, right? And, and it says, uh, submit to their husbands and everything. Now, at the beginning, it said, honor God, right? R out, of, out of respect uh, for, for Jesus Christ, um, we, we need. And so if your husband is an alcoholic and he says, I want you to go to the store and get me a case of beer, what do you do? Do you submit to that as a wife? No. No, because we submit to God first. And if your husband is saying to do anything that does not honor God or is not what God would want, you submit to God first and you don't submit in that instance. So 
So that's for wives. It goes on and tells us husbands, here's your job. Another thing is, nowhere in the Bible does it say husbands should make their wives submit. If you're a husband and you try to do that, or you've tried to do that in the past, you need to go back to your wife and you need to ask her for forgiveness because that was wrong. Husbands do not try to make their wives submit. That's not your job, husbands. God invites the wife to submit. He doesn't invite you to enforce something. Okay, and if your job is to love her. And if you do a better job on your end of things, maybe it'll be a lot easier for her to do her end of things. So husbands, love your wives, and love today is so misunderstood. The dictionary's wrong. Um, the biblical love is unselfishness. And this is the idea here. Love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Men, are you willing to give up your wants your desires for her wants and her desires. That's what, that's what loving her means. And I, I mentioned this in the first service, had some uh, police officer afterward talking to me about that. And, um, but I, I would think every man in this auditorium who's married, if there is a shooter in here, we would step in front of our wife. Every boyfriend in here would step in front of your girlfriend and you would take a bullet and you would give up your life for her. Honestly, for us as men, that's easy. What's hard is giving up for her what you want day after day, week after week. And we need to communicate about what we want. This doesn't mean you don't do that. Um, allow her to love you. So, so, but, but again, having that perspective the passage goes on, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word. This is talking about Jesus and the church, and we'll get back to that in a little bit. And to present her, the church, to himself. So Jesus died for us. This is the pattern of how husbands should live and die for their wives. As a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife, loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. And so husbands, we need to feed, we need to care for our wives better than we care for our own bodies. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Christ and the church become one flesh. How do we be I become one flesh with Jesus? I don't know. That's why he calls it a mystery. Right? However, each one of you must love his wife. Getting back to the point, you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So to summarize both of these ideas, submission, love, respect, summarize all of this, I think a good way of saying this for both a husband and a wife is you need to die to yourself. You need to die to yourself. And again, it may be easy to literally die for someone you love, but a lot harder to die to your wants and desires for someone you love. Here's some ways you can do that. It's a great book, Five Love Languages. You can look it up. Acts of service, words of affirmation. You know, with three-year-olds, a toddler has a temper tantrum. A lot of times what we say is, now, now, Billy, use your words, right? Husbands, we need to use our words. 
There are some guys here that I'm not talking to you because you use mountains of words, okay? <laughs> but, but a lot of guys, we'll talk about sports, we'll talk about politics, we'll talk about work, we'll talk about the weather, we'll talk, but we don't talk about her. We don't talk about the relationship. And so words of affirmation is, is important. In fact, here is one of the things in the notes that another pastor wrote down that I'm really mad at him about says, be willing to talk and listen to her about her concerns and not belittle her for having them. And that's exactly what I did this last week. Becky told me her fears, and I said, that's stupid. You shouldn't think, I didn't say it that way. It was much worse. <laughs> it was more devious, you know. It was more manipulative, you know. It just, ah. And this is hard, right? To not be nitpicky and criticize or... Or, but words, quality time, doing what she wants. That's what quality time is. It's not fishing, unless she wants to fish, all right? Um, in which case, man, you've married a wonderful woman. Um, physical touch, maybe it's just a hug that goes nowhere. Some of the guys here are like, well, what's the point of that? <laughs> because you love her, all right? Um, gifts, it, and you know, maybe your budget is tight. You, you don't have to even spend anything. You can pick up wildfires. Not wildfires. <laughs> don't do that. Wildflowers on your way home from work. Or give her a card that's on an eight and a half and 11 sheet of paper. Just write her something. You don't, don't have to spend money. It's about the thought, right? In fact, in this area of gifts, this just reminded me kind of a... a, a bunny trail here, but I really believe that our country is headed for some financial difficult times, um, and we need to be ready for that. I mean, we just got through a season where people were spending $1,500 to fill up an oil tank, and you know what? Next winter, I'm not a prophet. Maybe it'll be better. It could be worse. And so we got to get our financial boats in order so that we can head out there and throw out life preservers to those who are struggling financially. So I say that to say this. At the end of this month, on June 29th, Wednesday night at 6.30 online, we're starting a, a Financial Peace University class. These usually cost $100. Okay, our church bought the whatever rights so that anyone in our church can take it for free. And this is, if you have never gone through this, I feel like I'm good with my money. I've gone through it three times, and I've learned something every time. If you've not gone through it, there's two kinds of people. Some people say, well, I have no money, so it doesn't do me any good to go through it. No, you need to go through it. And other people say, well, I've, I'm good with money. I don't need to go through it. Well, if you're a know-it-all, yeah, maybe, but, but maybe you could learn something. And I, I did. talks about, anyway. So I encourage you, uh, you can sign up online. So our, our website is bridgewater.church. If you do bridgewater.church slash FPU, Financial Peace University, you can sign up for the class. Ken Foster, he was up singing earlier. He's facilitating the class. Dave Ramsey has a lot of teaching things on it. Dave Ramsey is the most um, captivating guy I've ever heard talk on money, Christian or unchristian, and he brings in principles of God's word. Anyway, so don't break your budget loving your wife with gifts, all right? Um, different ways to love. Last thing, so three ways, three goals that God has 
for marriage. Number one, to honor God. Number two, um, to die to self. Number three, to forgive. Be experts in forgiveness, not in each other's failures. And this goes back to this verse. Jesus died for us. Why? To make us holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. That is a word picture of forgiveness. We can be forgiven. We can be clean and holy before God because of what Jesus did for us. And because of his forgiveness, we need to forgive others. Here's something, um, one of the other pastors found this, and this is gold. Behind virtually every case of marital dissatisfaction lies unrepentant sin. Couples don't fall out of love so much as they fall out of repentance. Been married over 27 years, that is really, really true. You fall out of repentance, and that, that is like a death nail in, in your marriage. That's what we need to do, keep repenting. In fact, you think about the different aspects of forgiveness and repentance. Forgiveness takes one person that's about the past. You can do it even if the other person isn't sorry. Even if they're not changing at all, even if they're dead, you can forgive someone. What forgiveness is, is it's not holding something against someone, either in your conversations and face-to-face. I don't keep bringing it up. You know, Josh, remember 2018, August 3rd? Yeah, you don't remember. Well, let me tell you what you did. I don't know. You didn't do anything. But, you know, that, that if you've forgiven then you're not going to try to punish that person. Forgiveness is saying, I'm not going to punish that person anymore. I'm going to let God punish. He's really better at it than I am. And letting it go, not to their own self, not to someone else. Ben, let me tell you about Josh, what he did back in 2018 on August, what, you know. No, forgiveness is I'm not going to bring it up to him. I'm not going to bring it up to others to try to punish him by telling others. And then I'm not even going to bring it up in my own mind and stew on it and, and just... And that means forgiveness is a process. Forgiveness is unilateral. Reconciliation, though, is different. You cannot reconcile with someone two different scenarios. Number one, they don't want to reconcile with you. Maybe you did something wrong and they're saying, I'm not going to forgive you. I'm not going to reconcile. Well, then you can't. You need two people to reconcile. Another instance where reconciliation cannot or should not happen is if they aren't repentant and it's dangerous. Okay, so if someone isn't sorry and they're, they're, they're not repentant, that means they're going to do it again. It might, not be a good reason, it might not be a good idea to reconcile. Okay, that takes two people. It's about the present. And then trust, that also takes two people. And that is about the future. But here's the thing. If you say, I, doesn't matter what that person does, I will not trust him or her again. That's not just an issue of trust. You're probably not forgiving. You're definitely not reconciled. Okay, trust, trust. If there is forgiveness and reconciliation and both are interested, trust can be rebuilt. Um, love quickly dies when taken out of the soil of forgiveness. Um, what is the best soil made out of? What is the best soil made out of? Love, but how about real dirt? Uh, 
With your plants. What's the best soil made out of? Manure. That's a good word. I can't say some of the other words in church. Yeah. Now, if, if you put your plants just in manure, they will die, right? It's called burning them. It's too much. And so if you just have sin and forgive, you know, in your life, it's not going to be good. But if you take, if you take sin and you, and you repent, and then there's forgiveness, and you mix all that up together, it provides the richest soil for a relationship. And it can actually be stronger and better. Now, does that mean we should continue in sin that grace may abound? No. You, you will get plenty of manure in your life without trying. All right? You don't have to work on that. But you got to work on that turning it over to God and, and that forgiveness and reconciliation and trust. Um, I asked Joe and Marge. This is, this is great in theory. I've asked Joe and Marge to come up and just share what this looks like in a real marriage, in real life. And there's two reasons why I wanted particularly to, to have them talk with you today. And um, one of the reasons is because I would say that these two are among and perhaps the most respected people in this community, especially for those of you who don't know them or who are watching online. Um, even after the first service, I had... You know, a man, Kevin Benedict, he's like, I've worked with Joe. I love Joe. He is, he is awesome. He says, I never knew that. And um, so the other thing I want, wanted them to come up and share with you is because um, church is not a museum displaying saints. It's not up here to say, look at this 1942 W model. Look at him. You know, in the 1950, I don't even know what your model would be. Uh, but, you know, I don't know when you were born, I'm guessing. 41 model, there we go, yeah. Um, anyway, so just, uh, Marge, I wondered if you could just start and just talk about, you know, the darkest time in your marriage. Well, when we were about 10 years into our marriage, I was not happy. I was restless. Hindsight is a really good thing because as I look back, I know that that was partly because of some trauma that had taken place in my childhood and again in my early teen years that I had never resolved. And so I was unhappy. I was looking for answers. I was just looking for something. And as it turned out, there was an older man in our church who was very willing to listen to me and we talked, and he was very willing to talk. And I made one bad, we made one bad decision and another bad decision. And after 10 years of marriage, I walked in to a fully bad, uh, adulterous relationship. Never intended to go there. I never thought I would end up there. And yet my one bad decision after another bad decision stepped over the line into that. Well, when, when you, when that became known to you, Joe, and uh, you, you decided to fight for Marge, and she said that was really important to her, that you would fight for her. How, how did you do that? Well, this is how I did it, and I, 
I didn't do it to fight with her, for her. I did it to fight for myself. But it turned out that, that that's what she saw and that's, that that's what it was. Um, I went to his house. He had called her. And I had said to her, if he calls you, you need to tell me. And she did. So I went to his house and said to him, if you call her once more, I'm going to come down here and I'm going to beat the hell out of you. And his wife was there, and she, she was sorry, 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 and hugged me. And, and so came back home, and, and three things in turn that showed Marge that I was fighting for her. It also stopped the phone calls, and... Another benefit was it probably kept me out of jail because the law doesn't look kindly on those kinds of things. Uh, hindsight, I, I would have taken somebody with me, so I probably wouldn't have done what I was planning on doing. Yeah, and, and so this is Montrose, and uh, some people have told me this is Gossip Town. And so in short order, like everyone knew, and, and Marge... Explain how some of the ladies, two in particular in the church, responded when they found out. Well, there were <clears throat> two women that uh, came to me, and the first thing they suggested I do was go to Joe and confess my sin. And so I did that. And uh, these women, one of them had known for some time about it. She had encouraged me to get out of it and so on. Uh, they prayed for me. They prayed with me. They encouraged me to not listen to the whispers and the gossip going around, to mind, around me, but to get my focus back on God and back on Jesus and what he wanted in our marriage and what he was able to do. They instructed me from Scripture. Uh, with one of them especially, I met with her many Sunday nights before church, we drank gallons of coffee, I think, and talked. Um, she, was, she was there for me all the time, and we are still best friends today. She, Sarah Birch is her name. She is 98 years old. Uh, I really believe that in a great sense that I wouldn't be here today if it hadn't been for the intervention of these women. They spent much, much time with me. They loved me. They cared for me. They didn't bring my sin up to me. They gave me hope mm -hmm. that God is in the business of redemption and renewal and rebuilding. And I, I held on to that hope instead of looking back at all I had done to destroy it. They were pointing me to the future of rebuilding. Amen. Yeah, church and God is not interested in museums. He, he is a hospital for us. Well, as awesome as that is, Joe, that wasn't your experience. How did men respond to you? Well, remember, this was, this was 47 years ago, and I think men were different then than they are now. I think they're more sensitive today about things that are going on, but it wasn't anybody, wasn't anybody in my church, wasn't anybody that came alongside of me. And, you know, that, I thought that's just the way it was. Um, I was I belonged. I was in a uh, on a board of a Christian organization with men, and 
there wasn't one of those men. And as I look back on that, I'm thinking, why? And I also, I'm, I'm thinking, where was my dad? Where was my brother? And men just didn't talk about those things. They didn't know what to do, so they didn't do them. Yeah, and then, but you decided. Yeah, I, I decided, of course, I, I, I healed first, but I decided that, that if, I, if I knew of something, I was going to do something. There was a, later on, after some years, pastor of my church knew of a man in, in Montrose who, I shouldn't say that, there was a man who was in the same place we were as his wife, and, mm. and, and uh, he asked me if I'd talk to him, and I said, yeah, I would. And, and uh, I could do that because I knew where he was. I knew what he was doing. And did I help him? I'm sure I did. Did he help me? Yeah, he did. Because it said, this is what you need to do. Hmm. And so I've done that on the numerous occasions, and I will continue to do that. That's uh, men need men. Yeah, Amen. Well, dying to self, we talked about that in, in this passage. Um, but uh, Marge, what, what did that look like specifically? In particular, uh, when I talked with you about a month ago, the two of you together, um, this whole idea of saying you're sorry the right way. You said you're sorry, and Joe said it wasn't the right way. So talk about what dying to self meant with that. Well, once again, <clears throat> I had this erroneous idea that to say you're sorry meant that you were in a weakened position, that you were giving the other person the advantage. And I think because of some of the things that had happened in my childhood, I was determined to never let another person be in power over me. And that is just, the whole thing is, is a lie from the pit of hell because none of that is true. To say you're sorry really frees you it doesn't weaken you. It doesn't leave you in a vulnerable, vulnerable position. So I would say I was sorry to Joe, and, and I really was incredibly sorry, but I couldn't say it in the right way. And so I would say to him, I'm sorry. And it just never reached his heart because my tone of voice and my whole persona didn't say I was sorry. The words were coming out, but it didn't reach his heart because... It, because I, I couldn't. And uh, the Lord began to deal with me with that, began to, to just speak to my heart and say, I'm more powerful than that. Do you trust me? Can you trust me with Joe? And uh, so it was, I, I don't know, I think it was, I don't know if it was weeks, I know it was months or years, but one morning Joe had gotten up and gone downstairs and I was still lying in bed and the Lord spoke to me very, very distinctly and said, get up and go tell him you're sorry. And I got up and went downstairs and with tears and brokenness said, I'm sorry. And he was able to accept it at that time. Amen. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, we talked about these different aspects, forgiveness and trust in particular. Uh, Joe, how did you forgive and how did you trust, and how long did that take? When he asked me that question a month ago when he talked to us, and uh, I 
I came up with an answer that I wrote down, and and but I had a tremendous difficult with trust. Um, how could I trust her? And to say there isn't anything in her life for those next, I was going to say months and years, that would have said she's not trustworthy. It was what I made of it. I was I was consumed, and just it just ruled my life. And I want to say it was it was just months or a couple of years, but it was longer than that. And I I went to the Lord, and I talk and I I talked to the Lord. The Lord talks to me. He he talks out loud to me at times. And I went to the Lord and said I can't do this and and nothing. I, Went to the Lord. I said, "I can't. I can't keep doing this." And it sounds like Christianese, but it's not. This is what happens. And he finally said, "Joe, do you trust me?" And I said, "Yes, Lord, I trust you." He said, "Then trust me in her." And okay, I could, I could do that. So I worked at that for a while, and I slipped back into my old funky ways again, and, and uh, he would come to me again and say, Joe, stop testing me. And there was some more time, time went on, and kind of went into a, into a pattern of life. And, <clears throat> and just um, Friday night, this past Friday night, Marge and I were talking about, about forgiveness, and, and I said to her, when did I forgive you? And she said, well, it was, remember, it was down in, we were going to the Assembly God Church in Nicholson at the time. And she said, remember that night? And I, I couldn't remember. And she said, it was that night that we went forward and for, for some, some healing. And, and I said, that was a long time ago. It was 20 years ago. No, that was... 25 years into our, after, after the affair, I said, no, not 25 years. Yes, 25 years. I said, I can't say that. I can't say that to these people. I can't, 25 years? And I think the pride was just pouring out of me. And, and I said, I wasn't going to do that. And I, I had a, I had a meeting with the Lord this morning at 5.30. You should have been there. It was good. <laughs> and we went through this. And so, yep, 25 years. I am, I could not, I could not believe. And I, I think that's good to share because sometimes, you know, even you read the Bible, you read about, you know, Isaac's wife was barren and he prayed for her and she had a baby. 20 years later, she had a baby. Like he had to pray for 20 years and nothing happened until it did. And I think sometimes we get this impression that, boy, if I obey God, if I do the right thing, everything is solved overnight. And sometimes it takes 25 years. And, um, but it's not like, and maybe you want to speak to this, it's not like it was bad. The, the 25 years were not bad years. Uh, every once in a while, Joe would go into a mood, and that was the way he expressed it. And, I was uh, good at it. 
Yeah, he was good at it. And I finally just thought, okay, I'm just going to let, because I would talk him out of these moods. It was tiring. <laughs> and I finally just thought, you know what, I'm going to let him go. And he would go into a mood, and I think the last mood he was in, he was in for three months. Hmm. And uh, he, after he, after we prayed, after we went forward that time and to the altar and prayed, and he forgave me, he's never been in a mood like that before. Hmm. And those 25 years were not bad years at all, but the next 20 have been far better. Hmm. And uh, in a few weeks, we're going to celebrate our 56th wedding anniversary. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I, I just, I want to make sure this isn't about us. I want to make sure that hmm. we could not have done it without God. Friends that came along and helped us, that, that's huge. But we couldn't have done it without God. We started praying together again and we got into his word together again. We did all of those things. God met us every step of the way, and we, we simply could not have done it without his grace and his mercy. Amen. Last question. Um, when you have family get-togethers, what does it make you think and, and realize about the decisions you made? Well, we just had a family picnic, Memorial Day, and we had close to 40 people there. We have a very large family. And I, I could be in tears every time I think about it. I look at my daughters, three daughters. Uh, I can't imagine what would have happened if, if we had separated or divorced and they had to choose where to go or what would it have done to them and their marriages, what they would have chosen. I, I have no idea. But I just know when I look at my family that by God's grace, we're all here. Amen. I want to just uh, conclude. Um, if you're here and you're on your fourth marriage, the point of this is not to make you feel bad that you should have stuck it out and now it's, you know, now you have no chance. The, the point is exactly the opposite. No matter what has happened in your past, God has a plan for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. If you'll turn to him and seek him, he will be found by you if you seek him with all your heart. And so you just need to know whatever situation you're in right now, that starting today, he has a wonderful plan for you. And it might take a long time to get there, but you can trust him with it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the courage of Joe and Marge. And I thank you most of all for the love and the power, the power that we see of yours in their lives, the power to change hardened hearts, change behavior, the power to be patient and wait, the power to forgive and to trust. And God, I just, I just pray that, that your power would rest on us, and I know I know that'll only happen if we trust you and if we honor you and put you first in our lives. So God, help us to do that. And Lord, I just pray for our marriages. I pray for the singles here that they would have the, the strength to live right for you and to honor you in every single way. And God, I just thank you that there is this huge chasm between us. We're bound for hell living in sin, 
filthy, dirty, morally corrupt and bankrupt. And you looked down and said, I love Joe. I love March. I love Bob. I love you. And you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to bridge that chasm so that we could be forgiven, so that we could forgive others. God, help us to to just take that. Take that forgiveness and forgive others as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.